From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been 40 years now, and Fangoria is better than ever, each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. Head to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, well, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15% off your subscription. That's Fangoria.com, promo code POSTMORTEM to save 15%. I'm Mick Garrison. Welcome once again to the Fun Size Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And with me in the studio is my producer, Joe Russo, who is going to ask your questions of me. So I've got got another batch of good questions this week. Um, The first one is a a very flattering question, question, I think. Uh Uh-oh. Uh, so Am Michael, I Michael, I know, right? You might. Michael Olson asks, I've observed that yours is some of the best adaptations of Stephen King's work. What makes that so? Well, I... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a better way to phrase the question is, why do you and Stephen connect Okay, that is, so well. yeah. I mean, it's certainly not up to me to know who <laughs> does better than, than whom. Sure. Um, you know, I think... If my King adaptations work for you, it's because I love them as much as you do. You know, I The Shining was, if not my favorite book of all time, at least my favorite uh, horror novel of yeah. all time. Could you even imagine when you read that book for the first time that you'd end up directing it? No way. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's also like watching Psycho. Like watching imagining. Psycho yeah, when right. I'm eight years old yeah. and thinking, I'm going to do Psycho 4, yeah. damn it. Yeah. Uh, but 
the respect I have for King's work. I, I love what he does. And I've seen lots of adaptations that don't really work. And the reason right. I feel that they don't is the further you get from King and what he wrote. He writes very cinematically. The he further does. you get yeah. away from that, the further you get away from the the quality of the story, you know, the structure he sets forth, but also the humanity of it. Right. That is what's most striking. The horror in a Stephen King story is horrific and terrifying and suspenseful because you give a shit about those people. Right. Those people are complex and deep and smart and they're people you care about. They are surrogates for us. So showing the respect to those characters and the respect to the written word. Now, movies and books are different things, and that's been often said by me, by King, and many others. But um, the essence of a book is still the essence of the, of the film. And they're different media, but they both are stories to be told and... and uh, you know, there's a plot, there's a structure, there's there's a way to go about it. Right. Well, I think some of your work, and and I think you probably would agree with this too. You've been you've leaned more on the side of stay true to the book as opposed to adapting it for whatever purposes. Definitely. Now, there has been an instance where I went far from his story. Right. Uh, first of all, Stephen King wrote the screenplays for The Stand, The Shining, and Sleepwalkers, right. which I directed. Um, one of my favorite adaptations of King that I've done personally, just because of my connection to it, was writing The Bullet. Right. That was a 30-page short story that had a lot of room to move. To turn it into a feature, I couldn't just tell that 30-page story, but right. added in like at least half of all original material. I set it in a different time period. The story was written in 1999 and took place then. I set it in 1969 because it had a thematic importance to me and put a lot of things from my own life into it, the relationship between uh, the, the son and the mother, um, the, the would-be artist who has very dark uh, vision uh, and romanticizing death and things like that, yeah. which which were not so much a part of the King story, but fit into it, and was something King was very happy with the film when he saw it, and right. so knowing that it wasn't going to be exactly the same as that thirty-page short story, but it's respect for the people, for the story, and for the entire attitude that that King brings to his work and his voice. Well, I think that is very well put. <laughs> uh, I know. I agree. I, I really do. I know. I think. I think that uh, the people who and the fans that, at least that I've interacted with through our social media, that have responded the most to your specific King adaptations, tend to be the ones who are. Uh, more well read in the kingosphere, uh, so I, I think yeah. I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Um, so there's uh, a reason his is the most popular voice in publishing. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, Raythan Kruger asks, "What are some of your favorite needle drops in horror movies besides your own?" Besides my own, <laughs> uh, I do love putting great songs that are appropriate into movies <clears throat> and to come up with other examples i'm not sure but there's one that comes to mind yeah and what's that it's an american werewolf in london 
uses the song Blue Moon in like half a, duf- half a dozen different versions, yeah. different recordings. And they're perfect. They work great. Sometimes it's crooning. Sometimes it's more rhythmic. Uh, sometimes it's, it's just um, instrumental. But the way John Landis put those to work in that score. It's an Elmer Bernstein score, right. but suddenly Blue Moon comes into play several times, most notably during the transformation right, sequence right, that takes place. Right. So I would say as needle, drop go, uh, needle drops go, that would be one that that is most notable that to is, me. That is an iconic moment in horror for sure. <laughs> it is indeed. Absolutely. Uh, Jack is the is a berry, right? <laughs> I've noticed you said several times that the key to a good horror film is for it to be a good drama first. But what about horror shorts where there isn't as much time to tell a full narrative and character arc? Do you feel a good horror short should still possess these qualities or could they be something more experimental or concept driven? Well, shorts can be whatever you want them to be. Right. And if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're making an experimental short, that's something entirely different. But if you're telling a story, whether it's a horror story or a drama, all the same rules still apply. Right. Uh, whether it's short or long, it's still got characters, it's got a, a, an arc, it's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, I'm not a big fan of punchline stories where right. it doesn't. It all just builds to a punchline because if you guess the punchline, then you've wasted your last 10 minutes right. or, or so right. uh, waiting for it to happen. Right. I think story and character are by far the most important elements of any film, any book. Uh, but, you know, if you're talking about Unchain Andalou, where, you know, you've got uh, uh, Salvador Dali uh, doing just visuals. Uh, that's valid in its own right, right and fantastic. I love seeing something like that or an experimental animation or things where um, it's a, a combination of sound and vision that's just there for that purpose. Yeah. But if you're talking about horror being an exception to the drama rule in my book, uh, a horror story as a short versus a horror feature as a short uh, if it's lacking story and character, then I think it's lacking crucial elements. Right, right. I think it also depends on the length of time you have to tell your story, too. Yeah, if though, it's a right? two-minute I mean, story, then right. it's okay to just uh, yeah. end with the eyeballs coming out. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, you know, if like when you look at something like Nightmare Cinema, where we had about 20 minutes-ish for yeah. each story... I mean, I think then, yes, you really should focus on character and story. But yeah, like you said, if it's going to be a one, two, three minute piece, you know, sometimes those punchline structures work better. I've always thought, I always tell people that if you're going to explore shorts, it's either, it depends on the length, obviously. But if you're doing a super short where it's like five minutes or under, you either are telling a, a solid punchline story or you're doing a kind of glimpse into the life of a character. It's yeah. very hard to tell a full arc. You you need to minutes. engage, and right. e- even in a feature film, uh, if you're switching the channel and you come uh, upon a movie, you want to engage in every single scene and not just have dead spots. You know where oh I have to convey this information or whatever, but engaging whether it's a minute or a hundred minutes, it's all about engaging an audience, and usually you do that with character. I couldn't agree more. 
Uh, well, so our main topic for this AMA today is, uh, um, I've been, again, we've been getting a lot of questions about your early career, and, and uh, I wanted to talk about uh, how you got your job at Avco Embassy <laughs> and the first movie you worked on there, which is a legendary horror movie called The Fog. So... Well, Take it away. <laughs> I was doing my interview show on the Z Channel in Los Angeles at the time, and uh, it uh, had just been canceled um, without them ever canceling it. Uh, well, what do you mean there? Nobody ever notified me. Uh, really? I just called in to see when my studio time was going to be for the... They had just gotten rid of the program director and brought in a new guy. Oh, wow. Who, by the way, later on killed himself and his wife. Um, oh, my gosh. Just as a side story. Aren't you glad you asked this Wow. <laughs> um, and so uh, I was calling in to find out what uh, my studio time was and what movies they were showing so I could arrange the guests. Yeah. And they said, oh, um, uh, we're, we're not doing one this week. And I said, oh, what, what happened? Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be doing anymore. This was an assistant who told wow. me. Wow. So I, I never, oh to this day, never got uh, official notice that they'd canceled it the show. It just kind of just stopped. Yeah. But I was doing that show at the time, <clears throat> and uh, I met with um, Avco Embassy about the idea of doing specialized publicity uh, for the genre. And right. I had this experience as a genre journalist, I'd written for Cine Fantastique and Fangoria and Starlog and the yeah. like. Then I'd been doing these interviews on television. And I went in with a plan saying, you know, there are all these conventions and film festivals and things where it's not the standard way you reach an audience. You know, you don't just advertise on TV, but you go to the grassroots. And right. the president of the company, who was a terrific guy, Bob Ramey, who later left and went to Universal uh, to run that studio. Oh, I sense and that's maybe how that transitioned. Okay. Exactly. All right. <laughs> and he became president of the uh, Motion Picture Academy after that. Oh, wow. Uh, really good guy. He he thought it was a good idea, had me meet with their head of per, uh, publicity, Herman Cass, uh, old school publicity guy. Yeah. And uh, they brought me on, and basically I was my own boss doing that, and I hired myself to do making of the fog right so that was so the fog was your first first making of that. right i just i i started working for avco only on the fog wow okay and got so, it. so it was like it was like let's see how the fog goes and right then we'll they'd already it. made they'd already shot the film and it was in post-production oh i oh i didn't realize that. and i had interviewed carpenter before and i knew him vaguely right at the time and then uh, I got to know him better as he was in post-production then. And my making of was just taking clips from the film that they'd shot and then doing interviews with John Carpenter, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Janet Lee, and Deborah Hill. Right. And turned it into a talking heads with quips sort of uh, making It's so of. funny because when I think back on watching it, I feel like they must have had some behind the scenes footage though too right no? uh, maybe they did yeah. but i wasn't yeah. there for right, that right 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 so i so, had hired myself to do that yeah and put that together and then when it became apparent that they were going to have a horror slate with the howling right. and scanners yeah um then 
they kept me on for that. So they really became like one of the independent genre companies. They were the horror genre company. They yeah. had Carpenter, Cronenberg, and Dante and Coscarelli all at the same time. Yeah. So a phenomenal place for me to be uh, at that time. And then, you know, the... David Cronenberg was doing scanners, and yeah. so, uh, so I did. So specifically with The Fog, I mean, you know, you had met John, obviously, previously on, on Halloween briefly. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, you know, what, what kind of things did you pick up from watching him in editorial? Like, was there anything you were Well, like- I, I wasn't able to watch much of that, but mainly, you know, just um, seeing what I did. Just mainly I was seeing dailies. Right. Uh, and not not in on the whole process, but just seeing the stuff that gets cut out. Right. And just seeing all of the different setups and how he would work and and know that he didn't shoot anything he wasn't going to use. Right. A lot of filmmakers will cover themselves and shoot from beginning to end in every setup. Right. Uh, but John knew, okay, I need a close-up from here to there. I need a wide shot from here to there. He might shoot a master all the way through, right. but all the bits and pieces, not necessarily. So if somebody else had it in their hands to cut it, they'd have to cut it the way he intended it. Right, right. And that's how is, he worked later smart. on when he did television. Yeah. Uh, when he did, uh, someone is watching yeah, me and Elvis. You can't recut it if you don't shoot it. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I learned a little bit from that, but mainly, um, you know, the the work was was getting it out to to the grassroots and yeah. and it, having learned from Charlie Lippincott at Star Wars. Yeah. Um, I was the second person to go out on the road to these places, these conventions and the like, and share material, clips, would you show the, showing the slides. Of, or what would you show? What would you... I would actually do a slideshow. Oh, wow. Um, physical 35 millimeter slides. Wow. <laughs> and uh, set it up and tell them about the movie and, and uh, you know, get them excited about it, maybe run the, uh, the making of or or a trailer, and and this would be months before the movie would open. And there were a lot of print magazines in the genre besides right. Cine Fantastique and Starlog and Fangoria, and I would service them with everything they need. Navco must have been very happy because, I mean, the movie ended up being a very good success. It was a huge hit, nowhere near what Halloween was. Sure. But Halloween was the most successful independent film of all time when right. it opened. right. Uh, or when it closed eventually. <laughs> uh, and uh, The Fog did really well. It grossed, I think it cost a million bucks, maybe two. It grossed over 10, which was a big return for right. them. Right. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, well, we'll pick back up and dive into some of the other Avco embassies on, on other AMAs. But, right. uh, but I, it was fun to kind of go back in time and, and glimpse that period. So yeah. thank you, Mick. Well, thanks for joining us on another Postmortem AMA. And you can send us your questions to Joe Russo Tweets on Twitter, to Postmortem MG on Twitter, to Postmortem Graham on Instagram. And I look forward to your questions and see you next time. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, You can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at mickgarrisinterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram.